you know, HubSpot teaches, HubSpot Academy teaches a lot about marketing and HubSpot has marketing tools. HubSpot Academy teaches a lot about sales and we have sales tools. And we sort of imply that the two should work together since we offer one platform that has both, but we didn't explain how to make that happen in reality. Um, and so I said to my, my leaders, you know, the, the heads of, of HubSpot Academy, like, I think we should create a course that teaches sales and marketing how to work together. And they said to me, okay, how do you make sales and marketing work together? <laughs> Welcome to the B2B Digitized Podcast, where leaders of B2B technology startups and scale-ups learn how to use digital transformation to differentiate, educate, build trust, improve competitive positioning, close sales faster without compromise, and scale revenue growth. Now here's your host, Joshua Feinberg from SP Home Run. Hi, I'm Joshua Feinberg from the B2B Digitized Podcast, and I have with me today a very special guest with me, Kyle Jepson, who is a senior inbound sales professor at HubSpot Academy in Boston. Kyle, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for joining me. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited for you to be here as well. And I've known you for quite some time, but I think it would be super helpful if you could start by giving our viewers and listeners some context on how you ended up in your current role at HubSpot Academy. What were you doing before that? What was the journey that led you to this place of being an evangelist for reinventing the sales profession? Yeah, for sure. Um, so my... Uh... I guess one relevant piece of information while I was an undergrad, when I was in college, I got married. Um, and my, my plan uh, was always to graduate and go straight to, to grad school. Um, but my wife was a year behind me in school. So when I graduated, I had this year I had to kill before I could go off to grad school. And I, I joined this SaaS company, kind of a, a late stage startup. They were building out their first inside sales team. And I was hired onto that team. Um, and it was, uh, it was rough. I, I did not excel. And, and part of that um, was that their, I understand now their approach to sales was not ideal. They were scraping names and, and phone numbers off of the internet and just feeding that up to me. I was calling people I should not have been calling people. You know, we, we were selling um, online tools for apartment complexes. And sometimes I would call people and get into my pitch and realize, oh, this is a tenant of the apartment complex. They don't actually have any say in whether the apartment, and it, it drove me crazy. It made me cringe, um, but I really liked the company. So I moved from sales into customer service, sort of a CSM role and really enjoyed that. And then helped uh, found their, their technical support team. And I ended up staying at the company for three years just because I found the whole thing so enjoyable and I was learning and growing so much and the company was doing great things. Um, but ultimately I decided I still wanted to go to grad school. Uh, so I, I left that job, uh, we moved to Boston and, uh, and I went to, to grad school at Boston University, got a master's degree in linguistics. The most important thing I learned is that I don't like grad school. <laughs> no offense to higher ed, but after spending three years at a, a tech startup, it just seems so slow and, and rigid and, and I, I needed something faster paced and more adaptable. And so I decided to leave higher ed, which made me sad because I love teaching. I loved research. That's what I wanted to do. Um, but we, we had fallen in love with Boston. Uh, I looked around at tech companies here, quickly fell in love with uh, HubSpot and joined uh, their support team in summer of 2015. And at that point, HubSpot had just launched its CRM, the, the inbound event previous to that. So it had been out less than, less than a year, had its own little dedicated support team for the CRM and, and the couple of sales tools we had at the time, which we called Sidekick. 
And uh, and that's where I started. It was just this little, uh, the, the sales team, the, the support team, the engineering team for these sales tools, which were sort of an experiment at that point, uh, would kind of operated like its own little startup within the company. Um, but fast forward, I don't know, six or eight months, uh, the sales products are taking off, people are liking them. And so our CEO, Brian Halligan announced, we're gonna stop operating like two companies. We're gonna have one support team, one sales team, one engineering team, and HubSpot Academy is gonna start teaching sales stuff. And uh, and the people on the Academy team at that point were sort of shocked and overwhelmed because they'd only been teaching marketing things. They, most of them hadn't even seen or used the CRM at that point. And so they, they asked my manager, hey, is there anyone on your team that you think would, would be into this? And he's like, well, I know Kyle wanted to be a professor, so he'd probably be interested. And so I came over. And, and, and so this is early 2016 now. I joined the Academy team. And my initial heading was just teach people how to use the CRM. And as a, as a support rep who had been teaching people to use the CRM, that was pretty easy for me. But then that slowly expanded into teaching sales strategies. Um, and I, I had had a short and miserable failed career at sales uh, a few years earlier. Um, that was really daunting to me. But what I quickly learned is that there are lots of experienced sales practitioners out there who are happy to tell you how to do things the way they do things, right? They say, this is how I beat quota every month. You can be like me if you just you know, pay me money and I'll tell you my, what, what I do instead, because I cannot claim my own expertise is I operate as a sales researcher. I talk to a whole bunch of different sales reps who are having success. I talk to a whole bunch of different sales managers who are having success. I talk to a whole bunch of different VPs and CEOs and just anyone in a company that's doing well who will talk to me. I ask them what they're doing, what, what mistakes have they made? What is working, what's not working? And then I can find these patterns that exist out in the world and package them together into education. And it's no longer, this is just my opinion. This is no longer just, uh, you know, I, I, it works for me in my career, so maybe it'll work for you too. It, it, it's, this seems to be a lot of the way the modern world operates, right? And, uh, and, and that combined with, with HubSpot's, you know, intense focus on, on inbound and helpful uh, approaches, our, our flywheel model of business, uh, we, we roll it all together and, and it, it helps a lot of people in various sales roles sell better. Yeah, I think it's been super effective. And I was just uh, going back a little bit down memory lane and thinking about that time, like 14, 15, when the CRM had just come out. And I remember specifically giving feedback a number of times, when is there going to be training on how to use <laughs> the, there was like almost no knowledge base articles. Yeah. Right. I remember getting two different invoices. It, was, it really was had the feeling of like two distinct companies. And I remember yeah. talking to one of my uh, friends from our hug who had figured out how to use HubSpot as a, as a CRM even before it actually was a CRM. And there was just like a huge shortage of tools and training. But I knew at some point uh, Academy would end up putting some um, resources into this. But what you've done has just been phenomenal. I was just thinking as you were describing going out and curating all these great experts when the original uh, version of the sales management course came in. Is there like eight or 10 or 12 different subject matter experts in there? It's fantastic. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, so I, I in 2017, uh, so I've been on the team a few years. We had sort of some base level um, education in there about sales. And I had this realization, you know, HubSpot teaches, HubSpot Academy teaches a lot about marketing and HubSpot has marketing tools. HubSpot Academy teaches a lot about sales and we have sales tools. And we sort of imply that the two should work together since we offer one platform that has both, but we didn't explain how to make that happen in reality. Um, and so I said to my, my 
leaders, you know, the, the heads of, of HubSpot Academy, like, I think we should create a course that teaches sales and marketing how to work together. And they said to me, okay, how do you make sales and marketing work together? <laughs> I said, I don't know. And so uh, I, I, me and uh, guy Steven on the video team here at HubSpot, we basically just took a camera and interviewed uh, anyone who would talk to us who was a leader at any sort of company just to hear their horror stories about marketing and sales not working together or their success stories about marketing and sales working together effectively and, and figuring out how what that looked like and packaging it together. And that eventually came, became what is now known as the, the sales enablement certification because the patterns that emerge about how a marketing team can support a sales team around content and training and these sorts of things all kind of fall under this umbrella of sales enablement which is counterintuitive because usually sales enablement is handled by someone in the sales department. But I think there's a real opportunity for marketing to, to add a lot of value there. And so we published that course uh, late 2017. And there's this guy, Corey Bray, he and uh, Hillman Sori are, are great. They, they wrote this book called the, the Sales Enablement Playbook. It's short, it's, it's pithy, it's super actionable. They write a lot of really short, really helpful books on sales related things. Um, he showed up on some uh, internet forum somewhere, somewhat a couple days after sales enablement certification went live. Someone posted and said, hey, HubSpot just released a sales enablement course. Has anyone taken it? How, and, and Corey hops on and says, yeah, I've taken it. It's terrible. I hate it. Here's all the things that's wrong with it. And I was crushed. Uh, but I, I was like, who is this guy? I look him up and see he's written a book. And I read his book and I was like, oh, man. This book is actually really good. <laughs> this is someone who's, whose opinion I value. So I, I, I got in contact with him and I said, hey, loved your book. Just want to let you know, I think it's great. Uh, by the way, I released, I, I'm I, the guy who headed up a sales enablement course that you are not a fan of. I would love your input on how we can make it better. And he was just floored. And he said, that, wow, thank you. I'm so sorry. Like uh, uh, there are things that are good. I think the main thing I was uh, uh, offended by is, is you focus so much on marketing. You didn't talk about all the things a sales team has to do for itself. And he came up with a list of like five or six things. And so then we did the same thing, set up a camera, interviewed him. I asked him, who else should I be talking to? He sent me off to two people in his network. And that's where the sales management course came from. It, it came out uh, less than a year later. And it was just this follow-up to here's the stuff we missed in the sales enablement course. And those two courses together, I find a lot of people seem to take them together. We don't we don't package them that way, but I think just organically they they cover related enough topics and have the same look and feel that people take them together. And then you get this really holistic approach to what a sales team can do for itself to to improve itself over time uh, in the sales management course, and then what the marketing team can do to add additional value there in sales enablement. And it, it's just so fantastic that that just started as a question I had. We had internally, how do you get marketing and sales to work together? Um, and and as I went out and talked to people, we discovered so many companies are, are, are asking the same question and so many of them have a piece of the puzzle, right? They find one little thing that works, but they're, they're not noticing this other thing over here. And as you pull it all together, it, 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 it comes together into this really pretty remarkable piece of content. I think part of it too, is the more of a startup-y kind of environment you work in where everyone's expected to be really resourceful, the more critical it is for marketing to have a little bit of hands-on day in the life experience of what sales is going through and vice versa. So it's almost like if you could just get your sales team to not only go through some of the sales resources, but take the one-on-one, like the intro to inbound marketing and vice versa. If you could just get the inbound marketers to take the inbound sales training program, a couple hours there to understand the best practices, they'd be in so much better shape to be better team members, better collaborate. Yeah, for sure. I, I spent a lot of time on LinkedIn. Uh, people post their certifications they get from HubSpot Academy, and I try to congratulate everyone. And I'm surprised how often uh, there will be 
marketers, right? I, I, their title on LinkedIn is digital marketer or whatever, um, or marketing intern even. Um, and here they are posting the inbound sales certification. And I'll ask them like, well, why did you take it? What did you learn? They're like, oh, I understand so much better now what uh, the, the sales team is doing. I find salespeople are a little less uh, <laughs> inclined to, to do that sort of empathy kind of research. I think they're just heads down and under a quota and it's hard for them to look up and, and do any sort of personal enrichment. But I do occasionally find salespeople taking uh, just the inbound course or, or uh, you know, like the sales enablement or, or, or even like a social media marketing uh, certification. And I think anytime anyone does that, not just marketing and sales, if you, can, if you can invest some time in understanding what your colleagues need to do, um, not so you can tell them what to do, but so you can understand better what they're trying to do, I think that goes a long way. I think too, at some point with getting rid of the potential for silos, having that buy-in from the top down and in a small company would be a, a CEO and a larger company would probably be someone in a, a senior role that's a, champion of the whole thing of bringing everyone together is so critical. I remember a couple dozen of us went down to Richmond maybe five or six years ago and Marcus Sheridan before he, um, while he was still actively building Sales Lion, um, led a great workshop with a couple dozen HubSpot partners specifically around this on leading great workshops and getting the sales and marketing and CEO all working together to buy into the whole, whole idea of using content. And it was before they ask you answer, but it was the same basic idea. Yeah, man, I'm seriously envious. <laughs> I was not invited to that. Uh, it's good, uh, good timing though. So what I wanted to get your thoughts on today is for someone that is brand new to B2B marketing, B2B sales, but is thinking that digital content inbound needs to be a core part of their playbook, where would you tell them to start? What's super critical for a beginner to focus on that's brand new to B2B? I think... Uh, <laughs> weird piece of advice here. Don't really, don't, don't like come to HubSpot's website and see what HubSpot is doing, right? HubSpot has been doing inbound marketing for a, a, more than a decade. We have enormous resources we put into it now. That is not where you should try to start. I think a lot of people get ahead of themselves. They see the companies that are really great at content and they want to get straight to that. And you can start pretty small and pretty inexpensive with content. I think the main thing you need to focus on is, is just understanding what it is your customers need. What is it they come to you for? And understanding too that, you know, when it comes to your product, uh, you know, there's always going to be some competitor who is cheaper than you. There's always going to be some competitor who has a better product than you do. Um, but you can can really own content and education. You are an expert in something, right? Your your sales team, especially as they're on the phone or or however they communicate with with your leads. Uh, they, they hear the questions and the problems that people are trying to address. They hear the solutions they've tried that haven't worked. They, they hear the dilemmas they're stuck in as they try to choose between option A and option B. And that is what people come to your sales team for. That's, that's what they need help sorting through. And if you can package some of that into online education, written content, or video content, um, that will go a really long way. And you know your, your sales reps today, I can almost guarantee you, have emails that they write the exact same email over and over and over day in and day out. Uh, I mean, if they're smart, they have some sort of template tool, but still they're <laughs> sending the same email over and over answering these same questions day in and day out. And if you could just have them take a five minute break and turn on their webcam and record a video explaining answers to free, uh, some, one of your frequently asked questions and put that on YouTube. Um, now, now you have content, right? And it didn't take you long to make and it's not fancy and it's not polished, but if it's helpful, it'll resonate. And, and that's then a resource that your marketing team and your sales team, when they get questions like, hey, you know what, we have a helpful video on that. 
send it on over or a blog post if, if you want to take the time to write it up, whatever form the content is in. And then you have one piece of content, right? And you can do that over and over and over again and start to build out this library. This is very much the Marcus Sheridan approach, I realize now as I'm saying it. Um, but just like answering these questions, um, that's that's where where you can begin. And and you can do, you know, you can take our, our content marketing course and learn a lot about content strategy and, and you can take our SEO course and learn about that. And you should invest in all those things. But I think before you do any of that, just backing up and understanding who your customer is and what it is they want help with um, and then helping them help themselves um, is going to build a, a, a level of trust with your brand that uh, that is really the precursor to having a steady flow of customers in the digital space. Um, and that, yeah, anyway, that was a long answer. I, I think the short answer is just don't is start small and start cheap, right? You don't need, I, I now, because I film my lessons here at home, uh, have a, a fancy DSLR camera and it has like a teleprompter housing, right? But when the pandemic first hit a year ago, I was recording my lessons on an iPad, uh, right? And uh, they were fine, <laughs> they worked. Um, and, and it's nice that I work at a company that has the resources to in, invest in bells and whistles. But if you're just looking to educate people, your smartphone will probably do the job if you need to record a video or your webcam. Um, I post totally unscripted short little videos on LinkedIn all the time and they help people a lot. Um, and I've realized you don't need high production value. You don't need a huge investment of money or time to, to create content that makes a difference. And, and, and thinking of it in that way, I think will we'll take some of the edge off of trying to jump into the water, right? Oh, it seems so intimidating. How can we afford this? Who's, who's got the skills to write uh, you know, a, a blog post worthy of a Pulitzer Prize? Like, well, maybe nobody, but don't, don't worry about that. Just start by starting and then, and then you can improve over time. I think some of the silver lining of the past 12 months we've gone through is going back four or five years ago when I talked about video content with clients, they all of a sudden tensed up and they were thinking that they needed a videographer for the day and it was going to be a $5,000 video. And it's like, now people are super comfortable realizing that Zoom and GoToMeeting and WebEx and all these other teams are, are is the studio essentially. Yeah. And you, know, you can buy some bells and whistles, but like a couple hundred dollars can really, really check off the box to get you exact. And at, at some point it becomes more of a strategy issue than, um, than tools and tactics. And yeah, for sure. And I mean, if you are going into video and, and you do have a little bit of money to spend uh, my, my pro tip there is invest in audio before you invest in video. Like this, this webcam I'm on right now is fine. Um, and I'm wearing this headset for the, for the audio, the audio is probably not awesome. I do have a fancy mic I could use, but then you would pick up my son who is in first grade zoom right now. Um, but it's just like, as long as people can understand the words you're saying, the video piece is sort of secondary. Um, you don't need a super fancy camera. You don't need lighting and things, um, at least not for your first set of videos. So that's great advice that people, when they think about emulating HubSpot, should be thinking about emulating HubSpot in like 2008 to 2010. Right. And, uh, <laughs> Absolutely. Because everybody has to start there, right? Yeah. We, did, we didn't start where we are today. Uh, HubSpot Academy grew out of this thing called uh, Content Camp. Content Camp, yeah. Uh, and it was... Uh, it was webinars, right? It was not pre-recorded. I don't, I don't even think there was a video portion. I think it was just kind of like yeah. voiceover slides, you know, and, and uh, look, here we are today. Right. Yeah. And, and, and I think, I mean, I remember growing up, uh, it's sort of an extended metaphor here, 
I got lots of advice from like church leaders and, and, and uh, people, uh, teachers at school and stuff who would say, you know, you look at your parents today, they have a house, they have a car, they have all this nice stuff. You need to remember when you become an adult, you won't start there. You will be living in a small and dirty apartment and eating tortillas, <laughs> you know, and then, and then you grow from there. And um, as a kid, that just just like, yeah, I get it. Okay, that's obvious. But I think in every aspect of our life, we do that, right? When we go into a career, we want to be great at it the first day. When, we, when our company launches digital marketing, we want to, we want to be awesome at it the first day. And, and that's just not the way life works. You, you start small, you start basic, start sort of rudimentary, and, and you grow from there. I saw it, I forget who posted it. Someone on LinkedIn recently posted a quote saying, if your old work doesn't make you cringe, you're not growing. And I think that's an important thing to remember, right? Like you don't have to make something today that you'll be proud of forever. You just need to make something today that you can build on tomorrow. Um, and, and so that's, that's my advice there. Remember, right around the time we started using HubSpot, which would have been maybe in summer of 2010, Brian Halligan was actually still doing webinars and was still blogging and talking about how he, the blogging process that they were utilizing. So yeah, it's yeah, it's in, in companies at the stage where there's a few dozen employees. Yeah, it's very much in all all hands on deck with getting the content marketing. It's quite yeah. spending. Um, so thinking about now someone that's been at this for quite some time, maybe they've had PubSpot been doing content inbound digital for five or 10 years, and they had a really tough year the last year, and they're trying to reset and get back on track. What, what advice would you offer to someone to relaunch and get their content and whole digital program for B2B back on track? I, I think uh my advice would be very much the same as my advice for the new people. Uh, I think there's this tendency with, with digital marketing to, as you grow, start making improvements and investments that your, your customer doesn't feel, right? Those bells and whistles I was talking about, do people get any more learning out of a HubSpot Academy video that is filmed on a DSLR camera versus one filmed on an iPad? Probably not, you know? Um, there are there are things there are reasons internally that that's advantageous to us. It makes the editing process much easier, uh, and so that's why we invested in it. And we think the end result looks better. But as far as education goes, we need to be focusing like me and 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 the other professors on the team need to be focusing on, how, uh, you know, what topics do we need to be teaching? How how can we teach them better? How can we make them clearer, more accessible? And I think um, the same applies to all sorts of uh, digital transformation things. If if you're looking at your website or if you're looking at your blog, or if you're looking at your social media strategy, or your education, or your video, or whatever you do in your, your digital strategy, um, and you're looking for ways to make improvement, uh, you've got to tie yourself back to what it is you're trying to help that customer do. Um, otherwise, you'll, you'll make improvements you know, that, that make your website prettier, maybe, um, but don't necessarily uh, make it uh, more accessible or useful. I, I, I feel like all the time, these days, this, this seems to have happened recently. I don't know if this is like a, a milestone for me getting older, <laughs> that, that I'm super old, but like I visit websites all the time now and I can't find what I'm looking for because they've invested so much in cool design, right? Things are moving as I'm scrolling and there's different colors and the menus are all over the place and things appear and disappear. And like, I just want to know where the information I'm looking for is, right? I don't, I don't care if it's, if it's a single column of unformatted text, if the information I'm looking for is there, that's what I want, right? And if you've got all these cool transitions when I click buttons and, and different colors and things, that's fun. But if it makes it harder for me to find what I'm looking for, that's actually a step backwards. 
And so I, I think design is important. I, I don't mean to, to say design is not important. Um, I, I think if you're in a position to invest in design, invest in design, but make sure you're you're investing in usable, accessible design, right? That that user experience uh, is is very important, and just surfacing the things that people are looking for, prioritizing the things that they want and need, um, should be your your top priority always. So whether you have been in a bit of a slump and you're you're resurfacing, or you know if you're Zoom and and this pandemic is the best thing that's ever happened to you, um, I think just never losing sight of what it is you're trying to help people do. What is it? people come to your website to accomplish what what is it they you know make that the main purpose of it not not the brand colors and the you know cool transitions as we're scrolling and clicking and, and that sort of thing interesting is i remember years ago we had a number of heated conversations at the user group at the hug meetings about this very issue and a lot of times internal marketers were butting heads with it that was controlling the website and i think a lot of times what ended up happening is they just didn't want to burn the political capital on owning the main website and they did their thing just really aggressively on the blogs and on the landing pages and on email and social and let that all that stuff play out but when i think about like the whole growth driven design movement and uh, being able to optimize and really do true conversion rate optimization and everything it's really hard to to uh, eventually you have to confront the battle of making sure the strategy on site aligns with everything else that's been doing. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I, oh, everything I just said is a bit of a hot take, I guess, even internally, HubSpot has a, a wiki of it, just internal wiki for, for, uh, you know, employee information. And, uh, there's been a lot of design investments in that recently. And, uh, I don't know, six months ago or something, I was, I was just uh, posting a short informational post. I ran it by my manager first. Hey, is this okay? She's like, oh yeah, but here we have this fancy new template. Can you just use the template? And, and then there's like multiple columns and like things are in different spots. And for me, I published it. I was just like, I don't, I wrote this thing and I'm confused by it now. I don't know which piece of text I'm supposed to read first. And like, yeah, it looks nice, but it's not as readable as just my solid wall of text was anyway i suppose i'm old-fashioned in this regard but that's if, if you're marketing to me keep your website simple <laughs> when we think about simple you have the advantage in working with a team of academy professors where there's still still very much more resources going into the marketing side than in the sales side but you're very much in, infused with that when you think about the strategy that takes someone through the journey, uh, the journey, and they move through awareness and consideration, and decision. What do you think is super important for people to keep in mind to get that right? Aside from just the basic awareness of contextualizing what they're creating content around. Yeah, I think definitely contextualizing is is really important. But I, I, I mean, when I think about the the inbound methodology which for anyone who's not familiar, the, the really short version is there are three stages. You attract people, you engage with them, and then you delight them so much that they attract other people to you, right? Word of mouth goes out and, and it accelerates. Um, that's, of course, I would never say anything disparaging about the, the inbound religion that's sort of like, or the inbound methodology is sort of the religion of, of HubSpot. Um, but like the word delight is the one that stands out to me. And I think at every phase of everything you're doing, you should be delighting people, right? You shouldn't necessarily, if, if, you're, if your sales approach or your marketing approach or whatever is sort of like, you know, suffer through with this and, and, and there's a light at the end of the tunnel, right? It'll get good later. That's, that's not great, right? Like, why can't it be enjoyable for someone who very first lands on your website and is navigating and learning about your company? Uh, why can't there be delight moments in that, right? Why can't it be a delightful experience when they're on the phone with your sales rep and negotiating pricing or whatever? How do you make this 
enjoyable at every step uh, or at least beneficial. Um, and then, you know, at the end, when you actually deliver your product, yes, that absolutely should delight them so that they go out and, and tell other people. But I mean, we, HubSpot's sales team is pretty fantastic. And, and we get emails occasionally from people who are just like, wow, you know, uh, we really thought we were going to go with your competitor, but then your salesperson was just so nice. And that salesperson was trying to stiff arm me into buying something I didn't know if I wanted. And, and so I went with HubSpot because the guy was just so nice, you know, and like, I, I think that's real. I think that really matters. Um, people in a B2B setting, um, your, your potential clients or, or customers or whatever you call them are looking for a partnership of some sort. They're looking for someone who can help them succeed in whatever their job is, right? And, uh, and so you've got to make them feel that you're invested, that you care about them uh, from the very beginning. Um, there should not really be any part of, of that the funnel or flywheel or cycle or however you think about it, where they feel like uh, they're jumping through hoops for you, right? Like you should be the one, uh, it, you know, serving them from the beginning. Uh, and I think that is true at, at every stage, beginning, middle, and end. Yeah, the usability and even that whole concept with the frictionless sales, I think, scratches the itch of people that are just doing so much more research on their own that they're talking they don't want to talk to a salesperson early on anymore. They want to talk to a salesperson after they've done all the research and yeah. they're going to bring tough, much tougher questions than they would have five or 10 years ago. Cause they can yeah. get all the, all the easy answers before they ever get there. Right. And hopefully, right. Like again, backing up our conversation, invest in that, make sure you are providing those answers. Don't, uh, don't, I mean, if they come to your website and you don't have answers to, to their questions, they'll go to someone else's website and then they might never come back. So yeah. Where do you, final uh, final thoughts on where you think B2B is headed? What's the big thing you think that you see changing in the next one to three years with B2B that's going to catch a lot of companies off guard and that the the ones on the leading edge are already starting to figure out? Uh, I, think, I think we're going to see B2B in a lot of cases becoming much more, I, I hate to say the word transactional because that feels somehow disparaging or, or negative. I, I, I don't know, but I, I think, I mean, the ability to purchase things through a website or to um, try things out for free uh, is going to become far more common, self-service sorts of things in, in B2B. I mean, some B2B things, right? If you are negotiating a long-term contract that is worth millions of dollars, there's always going to be in-person interactions there. And I I, I do not believe that the, the end of B2B salespeople is anywhere in sight, and I don't think we should want it to be. I think salespeople can add a huge amount of value, but I think many companies will find for smaller offerings, um, you know, for, for events or, or for consultations or something, um, a, a, a sort of e-commerce feel will be uh, appreciated, and, and, and you'll find more and more I, I think maybe self-service just in general. So whether that's that smaller transactions that can be paid for through the website, or if it's live chat or chat box answering questions in real time, or or whatever the case may be, I I think B two B purchases will stop being this enormous, you know, six month sales cycle sort of thing where we are investing in, in conversations and 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 at the end you sign and then you get everything. I think we're going to see it broken down into little bite-sized pieces and these are the bits you get for free and these are the bits that are self-service and these are the bits that you just transactionally pay with a credit card through a website just like b2c sellers do and then you know the big it, it all builds up in the end to that that big purchase still 
Um, and and I, but I, I just think we're going to find ways to break it down to make it happen more gradually in smaller pieces, free bits, inexpensive bits, uh, all culminating in that big purchase instead of just being one big transaction that's negotiated over the course of several months. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. I don't remember the exact data, but I know a lot of the VCs that are big in SaaS have looked at like what's the lifetime value where a company can afford to do inside sales? What's the lifetime value where a company can afford to do field sales? And then now what we've gone through the last 12 months, the whole field sales model has been rethought <laughs> like used to with the conventional wisdom is you can't close a six-figure deal without you know flying out to the prospect and, and visiting yeah. and closing in person. But somehow companies have managed to close six-figure and seven-figure deals over Zoom. Yeah. 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 And I'll be really interested to see how that shakes out, right? Once once the once we are all safe and healthy and we're able to go back to, to flying around and being in person without fear or restrictions um, or danger of any sort, uh, do we, right? And I assume the answer is a qualified yes. I think there will still be times that that is valuable and that we do invest in that. Um, but I think, I hope uh, every company will be a lot more thoughtful about like, well, you know, if the sales rep talks to them over Zoom, instead of us having to pay tickets and lodging and, and, you know, fancy restaurant bills, uh, where can we reinvest that money in, in other ways that, that our customers will actually appreciate even more? Um, and the answers to that are, they remain to be seen, right? That's a big TBD, but uh, it, you, you said one to three years. I bet in, in one to three years, we're starting to see some, some patterns and answers emerge there. Yeah, I mean, after every big economic shock, you know, the housing collapse in 2008 and following 9-11, there was just so much transformation that happened with IT, you know, prior yeah. to it, it, early generation WebEx, more video conferencing, more digital, the emergence of smartphone, social cloud, consumerization of IT, all of these were largely happening at the same time and probably had a more warm, receptive environment just because of the hardships that so many companies were dealing with and being forced to be creative. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot to be said for for the value of constraints on creativity. I, I don't know. Uh, I don't. I don't wish for these downturns. I don't wish for these global crises, right? Um, but you know, from the ashes of disaster rise the roses of success. So, <laughs> forces more creative solutions. But yeah, this Kyle, this has been super helpful to get your thoughts on. B2B and inbound and providing helpful content and marketing and sales, working more closely together and just focusing so much more energy on what your potential clients, what your potential customers need to hear from you before you get to a sales conversation. I know in terms of people being able to follow what you work on, I know you're super active on LinkedIn and have those great videos that you seem to do just about every day. I know you have great courses at Academy. What's, what's the best social media channels, the best website where people can learn more about what you're working on, what Academy's working on if they want to get more plugged into this? Yeah, definitely uh, find me on LinkedIn. Uh, it's it's it, I-N slash Kyle Anthony Jepson, all one word, no hyphens or anything between it. Uh, that is definitely where I am most active online. Um, and then all my uh, all my official Academy content is is at academy.hubspot.com. Um, uh, yeah, I, I am... I am a little bit active on Twitter. Mostly when I post things on LinkedIn, I check the box to have them also post on Twitter. That's that's at Kyle underscore Jepson. Um, but LinkedIn, if, if you uh, send me a connect request, let me know you you heard me on this on this podcast. I, I'll be happy to connect with you. We can DM. We can even set up a, a Zoom meeting if you have things you want to talk about. I, I love to interact with anyone who is who is in this space and, and thinking about things or trying things or struggling with things. Let's let's talk.
Kyle's content is just is fantastic. The value that you're going to get from going through the courses that are up on HubSpot Academy between inbound sales and sales enablement and sales management, frictionless sales, and if you use HubSpot, the, the sales software specific ones is if I was the dean of a digital marketing program in an expensive private university, I'd be very nervous <laughs> about how fantastic HubSpot's free free uh, training is. Well, thank and you. I'm a huge fan of it. I've been recommending it for years. Can't say enough great things about it. But thanks so much, Kyle, for joining me on this podcast. It's been super, super helpful. Yeah, thank you. All this the best. Is fun. Thanks for listening to this episode of the B2B Digitized Podcast. To subscribe and leave a review, check us out at b2bdigitize.com or wherever you like to consume podcast episodes, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and YouTube.